0: Welcome to New Destiny Christian Center's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Verdecchio. If you'd like to find more information about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com. Amen. Praise God. The Lord is good. He's doing a great work amen in this time we're seeing so many things and hearing so many testimonies of people and here we are beginning of holy week amen i've never really called it that it's not been my habit but uh you know it really is what it is it's the week that we celebrate where a lot of things happen that god did so i want to encourage you make sure you stay in fellowship prayer and the word amen as we get going go ahead and turn to matthew chapter number 21 And I'm going to start reading at the first verse in just a minute. Matthew chapter number 21 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a fowl, the fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And the very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem... The city, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from, uh, from Nazareth of Galilee. So there's three points that I want to look at as we are on this Palm Sunday today, and three things that I want to look at that I believe are important for us to understand. You know, sometimes Palm Sunday, you know, we're used to seeing the palms, and, and you know, people wearing them, and of course, uh, uh, for, the, for the Catholics, the Catholics. They take the palms from last year and they burn them, and I think that's what they use for the ashes. I'm not sure. I'm not Catholic. I've never been Catholic, but uh, I think that's the way that they do it. And so the palms are an important part. But it's like Pastor Teresa said. Really, your hands. Jesus, you know, the Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary, that your hands are as that. And it's, it's funny. People sit in church and they say, well, we don't want to be too demonstrative. And I, think to my, I, I, I always think to myself, this scene. Of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, well, we don't we don't want to we don't look like hyper Christians. Well, imagine what it looked like that day coming in. But there's three things that I want to look at. First one is you know, like I said, we were in uh, Matthew chapter number 21. We're looking at this scene, but really it started in Matthew chapter number 16. See Jesus when he came into Jerusalem, and from chapter 16 on. Jesus was moving towards this moment in time because he had an appointment that he had to keep. He had something that had to be done. Matthew chapter number 16, starting at verse number 21, the Bible says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So here you've got Jesus in chapter 16, he's saying, look, guys, this is what has to happen. I have to go to Jerusalem, and I have to be crucified. I have to give my life. I have to do these things. I have to be turned over. And so in verse, uh, chapter 16, he's telling them, this is where I have to go. And Palm Sunday was a fulfillment of this scripture. It was a fulfillment. And then verse number 22, then Peter took him aside. And began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, as I read that scripture, I, 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 this wasn't really too much in my notes, but I feel like it's important for me to talk about. In this season that we're in with this virus and everything, we have to be careful as the people of God, how we pray, because it would be easy to pray. let the virus go away so everything can become normal again. Let, let everything be fixed so and everything's good again. But if God's got us in a position and a place where He's trying to do a work on His people, and you're praying that the work stops, could He possibly be saying to you, "Get behind me, because you're being moved by your flesh or the will of man." not by the will of God. I'm not saying that God doesn't want this to end, but I am saying this, when God is done, it'll end. And the best prayer that we can pray is the people of God is, Father, your will. Do what you need to do, God. Do the work. Do the work. Anyway, God has a plan. We're in a time of confusion right now. right? Everything's been turned upside down. Everything's different. But God's not confused by any of this. God's not sitting up in heaven and saying, Holy Spirit, what happened? I don't know where this virus came from. I don't know what's going on. See, when you trust in God, you understand that all this stuff is in his hands. And that nothing can happen in your life except for what he has already planned to happen in your life. that that this is not a surprise to him, that you can walk in confidence and say, I know my God and it doesn't matter what happens, I know that my life is in his hand and that he will never let me drop out of his hand. See, God hasn't shown me the next step yet. I was talking yesterday and I was was saying how, you know, God will, will lead and he'll show his leaders what the next step is and what's going on. And God hasn't revealed that yet. He hasn't said, okay, I want you to do this. And so when you're in a place of when you don't know what that next step is because he hasn't revealed it yet, what do you do? You do what you know you're supposed to do and you wait for him to to speak. See, the worst thing we can do is step out and make all these big changes and and say, well, this is what we're going to do when God is not telling you. See, my job as a pastor is to lead a congregation, and I can't lead you where God wants you until God says where he wants us. And so you need to be praying, God, where do you need me? What do you want me to do? What what can we do in order to uh, fulfill what God has for me in this time? See, Jesus sees much further down the road than we do. He's not looking at today. He's looking at what's coming tomorrow. He's looking at where we need to be. He's beginning to do the work. And so many people that I talk to, even in New Destiny, there's people that God is speaking to and challenging and stirring in a different way in this season. Because when we get uncomfortable, it can cause us, if we're smart, to go into God and say, what is this discomfort? Why do I not feel uh, 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 to be able to to sit in your presence and be uh, comfortable in that presence? presence, because God wants to do a work, and he wants us to to get stronger in what we're doing. Now, the second thing that I want to look at is that those who praised him turned against him. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 again. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I can just, Galilee, not Galilee. But, you know, sometimes in our religious mindsets, we picture this scene, and what we picture is, is, and I've, I've been in churches where it was this way, where it's Palm Sunday and they have the palms and they're marching down the middle aisle and they spread out in the front and they go I don't think that's what this was. Have you ever been around a group of Jewish people that are celebrating? There was dancing there was shouting, there was rejoicing. They had those palms up, man. They would probably look like birds trying to lift off. They were, they were swinging, they were stirring, they were in there, they were probably spinning. They were excited to the point to where it says that they they laid their clothing down in front of Jesus so that the donkeys that he was riding on wouldn't have to ride in the dirt. Could you imagine you've got your your suit on for Sunday service, you're getting ready for the Sabbath, and they come, and Jesus is coming, and they took those things off, and they put them down so that that donkey could walk across them. Oh, that was a time of such rejoicing, such celebration, such power. See, with great joy he entered Jerusalem, with great exuberance. Uh, They were having a great time. They were all shouting, you know, Sometimes what happens is when you get in a crowd, it's easy to celebrate. Am I right? When you get into a crowd, it's easy to celebrate. I think of those games that I've gone to at the link. There's something about in an Eagles game when they score a touchdown. I mean, you could be a Cowboys fan and still be moved on the inside, Brother Curtis. You could still have that feeling on the inside when they score a touchdown. You see these people and they begin to sing that song and you got 70,000 people standing on their feet all singing and they're flapping their arms like they're eagles and they're having a good time because it's easy to do when that group inside there. Now, when I'm there, I sing the song too. Now, I love the eagles, but when I'm home, I don't sing the song. Because there's something about that group. See, I believe in when we're here in church, it's important for us to be able to gather together. And I'm praying, God, when this thing lifts, I need to be able to come together and the congregation to come. Why? Because you cannot worship the same at home, for the most part, as you can worship together with the saints. It's not the same. It's 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 much more difficult. Takes much more discipline. You can sing the song, but it is not the same. I heard one guy that was just saying the other day. He said when he was a, he's a he's a super egghead kind of a guy, and he said that when a group of Christians are together and they are worshiping God with one voice and with one accord, there's actually an energy that is released into the atmosphere <clears throat> because there is power in that celebration. My mom, many years ago, she, uh, she was funny, she was uh, born and raised Baptist, God bless the Baptists, I love them, but, but she didn't understand tongues, she always wanted to get filled with the Holy Ghost, but it was hard for her, and I remember one time uh, in Denver, she decided to go to a Benny Henn conference, a Benny Henn meeting, and it was in his prime, and whatever, and one thing about Benny Henn was, when you went to his meetings, they really did Focus on the presence of God and on worship and on an anointing, being able to come into the room. And uh, I didn't go with, with her to this meeting, but I remember when she came back, we saw her and we said, Mom, how, how did the meeting go, the Benny Hen meeting? How did you like it? And she, in her interesting way, I can't use her words, said, Well, <laughs> she said, even I could pray for people and get them healed with that atmosphere. So what she was saying is because of the atmosphere of all those people worshiping God and praying and being in there in one accord, the presence of God was so strong that the sick could almost just be healed. It just would happen. They would just be healed because of the anointing of God that would come into the room. Amen. Now, it's easy to worship when you're in a crowd. And it's that, that groupthink, it's that, yeah, I'll have that, please. It's that groupthink, it's that idea of, you know, here, here you are, and, it, you know, when you're around other people. I remember when I first got saved, me and my wife, we went to a Russ Taff concert. Well, that's going back, isn't it? Russ Taff, right when he came out with the Metals uh, album. And so we, we went to that, and I was, I was a new Christian, right? And, but I was excited because I was with a cute girl. And it was. It was. Uh, we, we we weren't dating or anything at the time, and uh, but but I was like, she said, "You want to go this to this conference?" I didn't know Russ Tap, I didn't know any of that stuff. I said, "Yeah, I'll go with you." And but we're sitting there, but I remember there was something about when you're in that crew, when you're with other people, that it's easy to enter in beyond what you're used to entering in. But what happens when that crew begins to turn a different direction? See, pressure exposes what's on the inside. See, you can dance around your house with praise music, but what happens when the Holy Spirit starts dealing with your character? I know people that that they, they love the praise and worship, and especially right now, there's a there's a real emphasis on great praise and worship and these, these, these concerts, for lack of a different thing to call them, they, they, they go and they tour and these, these musicians are excellent and the, the anointing of God comes and they, they do all the worship and stuff and that's, and that's great. But the only thing with, with the whole worship movement that's going on is you need to worship but you also need a pastor or somebody that's going in and dealing with your character. Because you can wave hosanna with everybody else at the concert. But it's when that pressure begins to be applied to your life to cause you to be conformed to the Word of God. And that pressure is what begins to show who we really are on the inside. See, we're in a season where all of the distractions are gone, where all of the reasons are disappearing, For so many people, you can't, even if you're still working your job, you can't go out to eat at a restaurant. You can't go and watch all the sports on TV. You can't do all that stuff. Even if you're working, your life is slowing down because God has a reason. And my pressure is, uh, my point is, what are you doing during this time? Are you allowing the pressure of the Holy Spirit to cause you to be conformed to the Word? Or are you just using that time to watch Netflix? There's nothing wrong with watching a movie. But there might be something wrong with watching them six a day. Matthew 27, verses 15 through 23. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ. So here you have a scene where there's a festival that's going on and they asked, okay, we got this prisoner who's done all kinds of bad, who's, who's been noted as one that is not a good guy, and you have Jesus who you just celebrated on Palm Sunday, the one that you just worshipped coming into town, the one that you all said, Hosanna, Hosanna, that many of the ones that took their coat off and put it on the ground, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus to be released? It seems like it would be an easy question. Verse 18, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. See, he understood that because the religious leaders were envious of Jesus, that that's why they handed him over. So he went to the people and he said, which one do you want? While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do With this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So his wife even said, I had a dream. And in that dream, it said, don't touch Jesus. Don't mess with this man. He's righteous. He's just. Don't touch him. In verse number 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him. Be crucified. See, what will happen when the religious leaders begin to lead against what the Word of God says? What happens when the elders begin to say, we don't care what the Bible says, this is what we say? Because we're in a unique position right now in America, where they're willing to step on the rights of the church to get what they want. These very same people who were waving their arms and dancing and shouting and joyous a few days later said, we want Barabbas. See, when the crowd moves, do you move? Do you go from waving the palms and worship of the Christ and lifting your voice and lifting your hands in the sanctuary, that when they begin to say the problem with America today is the church, are you one that says, yeah, I agree with that, because the crowd has now moved in this direction? See, your Hosanna can turn into hate-filled words. People think, no, I'm right with God because I come to church and I I worship. And when I'm home, I listen to all of the worship music. I listen to Bethel and I listen to these. And so I'm okay. See, I'm so proud of the men right now. Because they're getting the word in them every day, those that are doing it. We're in Romans now. We're reading through the book of Romans. And it's so exciting to see the men that are doing it. Because when you get the word inside of you, then when something comes up, when somebody says something that is outside of the word, if you've put the word in you, you'll automatically say, that's not the word. I can't tell you how many times this week, and I don't know why, but I've heard these politicians and different people saying things like, God helps those who help themselves. It's a great saying, not a word. It's not a word, but they say it like it's in the word, But if you don't know the word, then you'll buy it hook, line, and sinker. How many times have you heard people say, money is the root of all evil? That's not in the word. That's a misquote. Because the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. It's the heart that's evil. Not the paper. But if you don't know the word... When somebody says that, you'll just walk right along with them. The other way to guard yourself is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guard against false doctrine. I pray in tongues. I'm proud to pray in tongues. It's a gift that God gave me. Why did he give you that gift if you pray in tongues? Because there's something about when you walk your floor and you build yourself up on your most holy faith, chateau Takalaba Satai. that inside you 're building a defense mechanism you 're building an immunity system that the more you pray in tongues, the more the spirit of God on your spirit his, his spirit is built up on the inside of you that there 's a structure there's there 's framework when we 're here in this church you can see these big beams the brick looks good on the outside, and the brick's something that 's important because it holds stuff up but what really holds this building up are these beams that go all the way up that holds that weight. It's a structure. And when we pray in tongues, we're building that structure in our own lives uh, that when somebody comes and says something that is not right, something that is not of the Spirit of God, they may be a religious leader. They may be somebody that wears a funny hat. They may be somebody that has a backwards collar. They may be somebody that goes by the pastor, a prophet or teacher or pastor or apostle. But I'm telling you this, when you pray in tongues, when you allow the Spirit of God to build you up on the inside that when something comes across your way that is not of God the Holy Spirit on the inside will stand up and tell you not that that's why I pray in tongues it's that inoculation they're talking about they want to give everybody shots when they figure this out and they're going to make everybody take these shots and when you pray in tongues it is a shot, it is an inoculation Against false doctrine. See, what will happen when social pressure begins to turn against the church? When the majority of people that go by the name of Christian begin to say, these things are no longer right. What happens when the the, the, the church in general out there begins to say things like, "If, if you don't marry homosexuals in your church, then you're a bigot. Will you have the authority on the inside to know that's not of God. See, I, I'm not prejudiced against people that are, that are homosexual. I love them as much as I love anybody else. I, I, it, it's, they, I want them to get saved. I want them to give their lives to Jesus. But I'm not going to would agree with a lifestyle that it's not right. See, we're a nation of laws. We've always been built on law. But in today's society, what they're beginning to do is put pressure on and say, we want people to use social pressure to control the masses. And they tell you what, you, what they want, and then people begin to go around and pressure people around them to do what they want them to do. They begin to tell them, oh, "You can't." to make sure that nobody's within six feet, and don't get me wrong, I believe that, you know, I try and stay within six feet. We actually stopped for the first time in a long time at Wawa this morning on the way into church. Haven't been in there in a long time. And when, when we, we go in there and I'm in line, there's a guy paying, you know, and I've, I've got some distance in there, probably about four foot. I wasn't six foot, but I had some distance. This guy walks up and you can see he was confused. He's looking at me and he's looking at the guy in front of me. He's looking at me and he goes, Are you in line? I said, yeah, I know. We're supposed to have the six feet. It's a little hard to get used to, isn't it? He went around and stood right next to me. (laughs) Right? But the social pressure, oh, my word, I can't believe this. Get away from me. You're trying to kill me. And they want to pressure people to do what they want them to do. They want to push them into a mold. And that social pressure, the problem is they want to control the people without law. They want to do it with the masses say this, so you have to do it. The problem with that is we're in the end times. And the church of Jesus Christ that stands on the word of God must not allow themselves to be pressured into what the world says. But they must stand on what is right according to the word. But you could be waving the palms today. And if you're not careful, that social pressure will push you into positions that you should never get into. See, we always have to be bold enough of Christians to love people, but be willing to call sin, sin. We must not ever allow ourselves to be pushed into that place of fear because of what people will think. To not be able to stand up and say sin is sin and it is still wrong. And it must be repented of. Repentance is always the key. Repentance is always the key. Christians were never designed to wave palms and say Hosanna and go home and live in sin. It's not in the word. We have to be daring enough to call for repentance. See, what will you do when you're told it's not safe to come to church anymore? What will you do when they say, you can have, I mean, I've heard people say it in in, in news columns. It cracks me up. People, they're, 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 they're journalists. They call themselves journalists at least. And they say, oh, what's the big deal for churches? They can just do it online. Well, the big deal is you don't even know what a church is if that's what your opinion is. Because the word says where two or three are gathered in my name there I am in the midst of them. We're doing this out of an abundance of safety and trying to help people but this is not what the church is supposed to be. The church is when the people come and gather, when they're bumping up against each other, when they're hugging each other, when they're shaking hands and greeting each other, when they're there. That's what the body of Christ is. And I'm praying when this thing ends that they don't somehow try and put a clamp on the body. But if they do, what will you do? What will you do? I was talking to Apostle Joe yesterday. It was funny. He says, you know, I see all these people. They're saying, this is great. This is wonderful. Because I can watch four different sermons on Sunday. And I'll be honest with you. The best thing you could do is turn off three of those sermons and watch your pastor. Why? Because your pastor loves you and he's trying to lead you somewhere. Guys that are in other states, they're not your pastor and they're not leading you anywhere. They may give you a good word. I'm not saying you can't listen to to different words, but don't mistake them for your pastor because God has given you to your pastor to lead you. The online church is a poor substitute for the body of Christ. The best we can do is try and entertain you, give you a good message, It's very difficult to pastor people in this kind of situation. But what will you do? What will you do? The church is gathering together of the saints. That's what the church is. They're trying to change the local body into an online megachurch. But we need to be people that stand up and say that's not what the body of Christ is. Those of you that are home, you have extra time on your hands. My question for you is this Is it your prison or your practice field? You're in your house and you say, I'm bored and I don't want to do. I fixed everything that need fixed. Well, maybe you need to stop fixing stuff with your hands and start fixing stuff with your spirit. It's a perfect time for some of the men of God to begin to go into God for their families begin to lead their families in the things of Christ. We need people, we need skilled musicians that when we come back, we need a guitar player. We need a couple more drummers, a couple more keyboard players, some singers. But what we need is people that have honed their craft. You're at home right now. Some of you do play instruments. Are you honing your craft? Are you working on it? He said, Well, I, I I used to play the guitar when I was in high school. Well, pick your guitar back up. Put on some worship music and begin to practice. Begin to ask God to do in you. Some of you have always wanted to play an instrument. Why don't you get up an instrument and why don't you get on YouTube and start at least trying to learn? Instead of saying, I've always wanted. So you take in this time to learn and perfect those skills. Are you taking this time to learn what it is to bring the presence of God into your house? I remember when my son was young, in a period of time when he was struggling with some things in his life, I told him every night, I'm going to go down and you and I are going to sit and I'm going to read one book of the book of Proverbs to you because you need wisdom, young man. And I'd go down every night at a certain time. And he, his, his bedroom was in the basement. I'd sit there and say, okay, Jonathan. And I'd open up Proverbs chapter number four. And I would read it to him. And you know, when I was doing that, he'd roll his eyes and he'd do all those kind of things. And, but I talk to him just about every day now. And I see that book of Proverbs starting to leak out of his pores a little bit. It's starting to come out a little bit. Putting in in this time? What are you putting in? Don't let your kids see you just laying around watching movies all day. Do something for God. In this time, the one thing that the Holy Spirit has led me to for New Destiny, and I've said it over and over, I've said it in every sermon I've preached, and I've said it on all the videos that we do. You need to stay in the Word. This is me pastoring you, New Destiny. You need to stay in the Word. You need to read the Word. Men, you should be doing this scripture reading that we're doing. You should read right along with all the other men. You should comment. You should put it on there. You should read the Word every day. There's no excuse for not being able to read at least one chapter of the Word every single day. You need to stay in prayer. It'd be really good for some of you men if your wife caught you praying in the morning if she walked down the stairs to get her morning coffee and she heard something in the back room and when she went in, she caught you on your knees praying to God. It'd do your marriage a real revival if, they begin, if men would begin to pray and call out the name of your wife and your children and call out the name of your friends and those that you associate with that are sinners, that, that those names would leave your lips and go before heaven and before God. And you need a fellowship. New Destiny's done such a good job. People, I'm seeing them fellowshipping the best they can. And they're, they're communicating in texts, Text? texts, text. And they're doing what they can do. And they're, they're, they're trying to stay in there. And we're trying to, to go through a, a Facebook group and make sure that we're in there. But you're responsible to stay in fellowship with the believers. Because there's something about when you have a brother or sister in Christ that can go, you know what? You're getting a little weird. You need to straighten up a little bit. That's not people say, who do they think they are to say that? Your friend. Because when you're getting off a little bit, you need somebody that'll bump you back in. I love construction sites so much. I have to, have to admit, I really miss being on the construction site because there's something about guys that will bump up against each other. And when you start whining, they say, Oh, what's the matter, sweetie? Things getting a little too hard for you? There's something about that, that pushing and that pressing of men. Thirdly, I've got to go through this one quickly. Disciples played a big part on that day. Go back to verse number 1 it says when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the man of olives then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied a colt uh, and a colt with her loose them and bring them to me and if anyone says anything to you you shall say the lord has need of them and immediately he will send them now i put myself in that place now i know me If I was walking around with Jesus and he said, look, go to the town next door and steal a donkey, I'd I'd be the whole time there, I'd be praying and going, oh, don't let nobody ask me nothing. Lord, I pray, let them not see me. Let me be invisible, God. Let nobody be around. Father, I don't want to have... And then when I see the donkey and I see people around, I'd be like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? I know he said, go get the donkey. I'd probably be one of those pacers. Okay, Lord, you said go get that donkey over there, Lord. I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous about this, Lord. And maybe you don't feel like you'd be that way, but i bet most of you would. In verse number four, it says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. A colt, the fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Now, here's the thing that stood out to me. This, when we're reading this, right, it's, it's them looking back on an event and describing the event. See, I would have been okay if Jesus were to say to me, Dave, I need you to go get the donkey. And if anybody says to you, why are you taking the donkey? Just tell them I need them. And the reason I'm sending you down there is so that it will fulfill prophecy. See, that little bit of information at the end would have done me okay. I'd be like, hey, man, God's using me to fulfill prophecy. But he didn't tell him that. He just told him, go and do it. Look, this is, this is where you're going to go. This is what you're going to find. And this is what I need you to do. And then in that last verse, in verse number six, so the disciples went and did. As Jesus commanded them. Wow. That's one of the most powerful scriptures. Because the thing that you find when you pastor today is it's hard to get verse 6 to live in people's lives. Because they're always trying to square everything with what they want to do and what they think and do I have time and can I and should I and all these other things. I can't tell you how many times there will be things and I'll ask someone, I'll say, can you, can you do me a favor and can you, do, can you go do this? Well, I'll, I'll pray on it. And, and what am I left to say? Okay. But you can't move an army on, when you say I'll pray on it, what you're really saying is, let me check my calendar and I'll think about it. It just sounds better to say I'll pray about it and see what the Holy Spirit says. Now I'm getting down in there a little bit, a little bit of broccoli on a Sunday morning. See, small steps of obedience, obeying the Holy Spirit, are not small in the kingdom. Sometimes I think that it's the small things that we do that are going to add up more in eternity than we realize. I think that there are those, those times when we do little things that it's it's maybe those offerings. I can remember as a young Christian when, when Pastor Simpkins would come and he would, he would uh, preach a sermon and he would take an offering because he was going to India is the one that I remember the most. I'd, I was a new Christian, probably saved just a couple of weeks at the time. And he had taken an offering. And I remember it was, it was, uh, I had gotten paid on Friday. And, you know, back then, it was things were a little bit different. You went to the bank, and you cashed your check, and you had your cash on you. And I, I went to the bank, and I cashed it, and it's Sunday morning. And I remember he took an offering, and he talked about going to India and going to this, this nation and being able to preach the gospel. And he took an offering and said, we need help in order to be able to get there because it's expensive and all the things that are there. And I remember on the inside, brand new Christian Young, and I thought to myself, this is something that I need to give to. The problem was all I had was $200 bills in my pocket. And that was a lot of money back in 1985. But I remember feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit saying give. And I took one of those bills out and I put it in that. I, I, I've given a lot more money than that over the years. I've given at, at times a whole lot more than that that God would speak. But I often wonder when I get to heaven if it won't be that hundred bucks. That people got saved in that nation. Maybe they got healed. Maybe they got turned around. Maybe something happened in their lives. And that God will bring that to remembrance. Say, so you remember that? You remember that place of obedience? That did something. See, sometimes I think it's the it's the little things of obedience. It's easy to obey in the big things. It's easy to spend time in prayer over the big things. But it's the small things sometimes that make the difference. Sometimes the fruit of your obedience is for someone else to harvest. In other words, there are times when God will speak to you to do something. And you'll do it and afterwards you'll say, hmm, I don't know, I did what God said. And you won't get to pick the fruit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, talking about Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We always want to see the results of what we do. And in obedience, sometimes you don't get to see the result. Sometimes you'll plant the seed. And somebody else is going to come and harvest it. But you have to be willing to do what God says no matter what. You have to be willing to do what God says. See, I believe there are souls that I'll meet in heaven that I had a part of. I I, I even listened to that song this morning. Some of you old-timers will know it. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Amen. There's something about that song. I was watching it in a little video. The guy was singing, and I see all these old-time Christians, and they had tears coming down their eyes because sometimes those old-timers, they recognize those things that they did that they may not have been recognized for. Nobody here may have said thank you. But somewhere along the line, our obedience will be rewarded. I think of a a meeting that I went to in Ridley Park. It was a Ridley Park redevelopment meeting. And I'm sitting there and it was contentious and people were crazy. It was one of the craziest meetings I was ever in. I'm sitting all the way in the back of the room thinking to myself, these people are just nuts. And after it was over, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, I want you to go meet that man, the guy who was giving the meeting." And I remember walking up there. He didn't tell me, go witness to him. He didn't tell me all that. He told me, I want you to go meet him. I went up there. I waited uncomfortably because somebody got there before me. And then you're standing like this thinking, this is weird. And I'm standing there waiting out of obedience to what God said. And after all I did was obey God, I went up, I introduced myself told him who I was, told him I was a pastor in the area. I left and didn't think anything of it. I mean, I, I, I prayed for him. I said, okay, God, if you got a plan for his life, I did what you told me to do. But you know, if I hadn't been obedient, then today you wouldn't know the 2020 chili cook-off champion. Because that day, out of simply introducing myself to Bart, I <laughs> had simply going and introducing myself. God used it, and a few weeks later, him and his family came to church. Amen, and, and they've, been, they've been a part of New Destiny, an important part ever since. See, it's your obedience that matters. You play a big part. That day, those disciples that he sent to get that donkey, all they were was errand boys. Does the pastor know what I'm doing? Am I just his errand boy? Or were errand boys. Go get a donkey and bring it to me. But because they obeyed, that day, the Savior came into Jerusalem with the palms waving and the people shouting Hosanna. See, you're important. The decisions you make and what you do, they mean something. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor David Verdecchio of New Destiny Christian Center. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com.